Hi, we here at Grace Life would love to help you discover Jesus' unconditional love and grace for you. We pray that this message will be a blessing to you and further establish you in the truth of God's Word. What a time to be alive. What a, uh, what a age to live in, the church age, the Holy Spirit age. Today is Pentecost Sunday, if you didn't know. Uh, it's an awesome time. It's the time when the Holy Spirit was miraculously and globally and gloriously poured out. Amen. And we are part of that. So everything that was promised from Abraham, even before that, has come true, is fulfilled. And we live in the fullness of that. We live in the fullness of the promise. And we've looked at what is salvation um, what is it that we're about? What is it that the Holy Spirit is about? I mean, that's a quite an important statement. What is the Holy Spirit about? I don't want to give you the opportunity to come answer up front because I might have to correct you up front then. So uh, they say if people take you on on Facebook, you answer them on Facebook. If people um, answer publicly, then you, you need to respond publicly. But ask yourself this morning. I mean, you are here to learn. We're here to grow. We're here to be equipped. We're here to be family. And that's what we, uh, we are so great at doing. I really believe this is really, really a special family. But what is the Holy Spirit here for? And uh, according to Galatians 3, it says the Holy Spirit is what was promised. The Holy Spirit is what was promised. Was promised to... A- Whoa, that's still on. <laughs> Should be now. The Holy Spirit is what was promised to Abraham. And then the outpouring of that Spirit is what we celebrate on Pentecost. Now, we don't sing and we don't pray. And you'll never hear a song in this church, praise God, that will say, Pour out your Spirit, Lord. More of your spirit, Lord, because there's no more. There's nothing more. It's all given. It's the fullness of who God is was in the body. And that body died on a cross. And that body was resurrected. And that body was ascended. And that body is no longer a body. It's the Son of God. And what did He do? When all authority in heaven or on earth was given to Him, He did something. You know, in our political climate, when all authority in, uh, is given to someone, they don't do something. They go sit somewhere. Sorry that I say that. Yes. You get authority to do something. You don't get authority so you get a nice title on LinkedIn or on Facebook or you can tell your family or your mom can be proud. No, you get authority, you get a title, you get, you get power. Why? To do something. You get power to act. That's why you have that power. And then part of the promise, according to 1 John 2 and verse 25, this really blessed me so much this week, says 1 John 2 verse 25, and this is the promise that He hath promised us. You know, who's trusting God for a promise? Again, please don't raise your hand. We cannot wait for God. Oh, I'm trusting on God's promises. No, you can't. There's one promise. It's the promise. It is the promise of the Holy Spirit. And according to 1 John 2 and verse 25 says, And this is the promise. How many promises? One. What is the? The is one. The is in. For those who understand Afrikaans better. That He hath promised us. So there's a promise that He, God, has promised us. What did God promise us? Even eternal life. Now even they take it out because it's in italics in the King James. What is the promise? The promise is the Spirit. What is the promise? The promise is eternal life. So how do we get eternal life? Through the Spirit. Is this body going to live forever? No, it's not. But the Holy Spirit is going to live forever. Is the Spirit of God going to live forever? Yes, because it is the Holy Spirit. Amen? So what I'm going to share with you this morning is, again, because I love you now, so remember that. But what I want to share with you this morning is how to overcome every circumstance. How to overcome every circumstance. I mean, that's quite a big statement to make, isn't it? 
So let's pray before we go in. Father, we thank you this morning for, for Jesus. We thank you for the Holy Spirit that's poured out. We thank you that we can be excited about it, that we are empowered, that we are greatly blessed, that we're highly favored, but that we have been empowered from the gift, by the gift, the promise that has been fulfilled. Lord, we just thank you for your word that makes it so abundantly clear that you are about eternal life. You are about salvation and you are about the spirit life. As we go into this time, thank you, Father, for, for open hearts and clear eyes. And thank you for your ministry. Let we not be touched by the words of men, but by the words of God this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So Galatians 3 and verse 5. Galatians 3 and verse 5. I'm going to read two translations there. It says, Then does he who supplies you with his marvelous Holy Spirit and works powerfully and miraculously among you do so on the grounds of your doing what the Lord demands or because of you believing in and adhering to and trusting in and relying on the message that you heard. So what Paul is writing to the Galatians is, is, is there's something happening. It's miraculous, it's marvelous, it's powerful, it's Holy Spirit. And he says, but does that come to you? Did it come to you because you obeyed the law or because you heard a message? I mean, the answer is abundantly and evidently clear. It's about the message. Every time I say that word, like, I get tingles almost. I'm so, so, so excited about this message because why? It is the power of God unto salvation. Because God's power is unto what? Salvation. No one likes to, to think about that so much. Romans 1.16. The gospel is what? It's the power of God. Unto what? So why, is, why do we have power? For goosebumps. No, we have power for salvation. But what if I'm saved? Well, then you have power for the salvation of someone else. Amen? That is what God is about. God is about eternal life. And eternal life only comes through salvation and not by works of the law, but by the hearing of the message, by the revelation of what Christ has done. And now we get to do, we get to work out what Christ has done, what He has fulfilled, what He has reached. And so much of Christianity currently worldwide and probably for ages before us has been about not losing your salvation. So, how selfish can you get? If your Christianity is about you not losing your salvation, how selfish can you get? See, I said I'm going to share because I love you this morning. No? I don't know about you, but when I grew up, Christianity for me was boring. It was for the uncool kids. It, was, it wasn't miraculous. It wasn't powerful, it wasn't super abundant, it wasn't glorious, it wasn't out of this world, it wasn't healing power, it wasn't manifestation of God's presence, it wasn't anything that it is. Amen? So even in kids' church, I was uh, with the, the kids' church um, the other day, um, not in the service, but when they had teen time. And again, we just reiterated, when we share, whatever we share, if we share Noah, share Noah unto Jesus. When you share Daniel and the lions, then... That is the picture of Jesus. Whatever we share, we can't share different stories with kids. We need to share this story, the message, which has been portrayed and promised through the Old Testament. Yes, through Samson, through Noah, through Jonah. Jesus said, this generation will have no other sign but the sign of Jonah. So what does it mean? It says, Jonah is not about a fish. Jonah is about a promise. Jado is... Jado. What's Jado? Jonah and shadow. It's when your, your head moves faster than your mouth. 
Jonah is a shadow of Christ who was to come. So when we reach people, we can share the story of Jonah. Hey, have you heard of Jonah? Yes, I've heard about Jonah. Have you heard about Jesus? No, not so much. Did you know Jonah is about Jesus? How can that be? Listen, so how long was Jonah in the fish? Three days. Oh yeah, how long was Jesus in the grave? Oh yeah, three days. What happened when Jonah came out of the grave? Oh, the whole town was saved because of the message of righteousness. Oh, okay, so Jonah was what? He was a preacher of righteousness. Guess what? He was a foreshadow of Christ to come, and this is what it means. All of a sudden, this thing we call the Bible makes sense. All of a sudden, there's a, there's a, there's a thread that is running through this, which is the message. Not a hundred messages, but the message. Which makes my job really, really easy. Because on a Sunday, I only need to share the message. And we can share it in many different ways, and hopefully we keep it interesting. But there's one message. So even this morning, I'm sharing with you how to overcome every circumstance. How to overcome every circumstance. And what we're busy with, we're looking at getting to know God better. We're looking to live according to God's will. And we're looking to live with the Holy Spirit. But I believe this message came to me in a dream that I had this week. Now, before you get excited, please wait and check that the message aligns with the word or the dream aligns with the word. Because a lot of people get excited about dreams. And if the dream doesn't align with the word, then the Bible actually warns us against that. But that's one way that God speaks to us. In the book of Acts, we see a vision came in the night time, or a night vision, or a dream. So what I share with you today is to help you overcome every challenge. Who's got some challenges? Everyone said amen for the first time today. Do you have a challenge? Yes, we do. We live in challenging times. We live in challenging circumstances. I mean, I'm trying to some days switch off, but I know the challenges that you guys go through, not all of it, but a lot of it, and, and, and I, I struggle to switch off because of my heart, of, of, of this pastor heart that my people are going through challenges, and how can I help them, and can I pray for them? And like, literally to the point where I don't always know how to switch off. But I believe that's why God gave us this word this morning. Now remember, I didn't say I'm giving you the answer to solve every circumstance. Sorry, I don't have that. Not even Jesus did. Jesus said, take heart, in this world you will have tribulation. Okay? But I'm sharing with you how to overcome that. Not make it disappear. Ah, I'm so sorry, but I can't. <laughs> because I will be lying. Okay, so the key to overcoming every circumstance. Are you ready for it? Henry is ready for it. It is consider others as more important than yourselves. That's it. Consider others as more important than yourselves. Because if it is about your circumstance, it's about your salvation, it's about your issue, it's about your problem, it's about your financial situation, it's about your family then it's going to be about you. But how do you overcome that? It is, you just live in a way that says it's not about me. So I was thinking about it. Why do we want to be like Paul? Who wants to be like Paul? This is a good time to put up your hand. Not everyone wants to, I know. Why do we want to be like Paul? Because Paul wanted to be like Jesus. Okay, so Paul is not who we worship. We worship Jesus. But Paul said, follow me. So there's scripture for that. As I follow or imitate Christ. Now if I look at someone who was part of an underground movement, who was really having, I mean he had, he had some circumstances that come against him. Amen? Who's, who's with me? Paul 
we want to have an underground movement, and we think it's cool. It's a cool name. We can brand it. We can move around. You know why he had an underground movement? Because he was underground in jail, <laughs> literally. He was underground, and the church to whom he was writing wasn't the white picket fences of the time. It was the outcasts. It was the people living in caves. It was the people the, 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 under the breadline, if you will. It was the fishermen. It was, I mean, even Jesus came, and he came to people with issues. Peter and his, his, his fellow fishermen were not catching anything, if you remember. They had bills to pay. They had tummies to feed. They had families. Peter had a wife. So they had issues, and Jesus comes, and he solves that issue, but he gives them something more. Because right when the magical, magnificent, marvelous catch of fish comes in, they leave it right there. That, that for me says there's something more than solving your issue. Because that solved the circumstance. But they still went with Jesus. Because in our heart of hearts, we know that there's more to life than what this world can offer, whether good or bad. We just know it. If you don't know it yet, just hang around. We'll make sure that you get excited about eternity. There's eternity in the hearts of men. Ecclesiastes writes about that. So I sat yesterday in the car and I said to my wife, and I said, I'm so, so, so glad that we get to be part of the highest purpose on earth, which is eternity. Not saving rhinos and dolphins and carbon, and that's nice stuff, but... It's not eternal. We have the privilege to be part of something eternal. Already that says to you, hey, <laughs> life is about more than your little dot on this earth. You see, if we, if we live eternity, then we have to live spiritually. Because we know that what we have here is not going to last. Look at the, the JSE. It's probably not going to last forever. Amen. Bitcoin will make a run for the next century or two, but it's probably not going to last forever. Like, the banks are in trouble. They're probably not going to last forever. Businesses come and go. So, whatever we live here, we, we have to realize that there's eternity, there's more. So, how many of our troubles are rooted, let me say it different, how many of your current challenges, circumstances, and troubles will be with you for eternity? That helps to put things in perspective a little, doesn't it? In this world, you will have trouble. But hey, we're not going to be in this world forever. See, that's the mentality Paul had. And that's why I believe that's what he saw in Jesus. So, yes, the key to being set free from all your troubles is to live as though others are more important than you. Where do I get this? Philippians 2. This is great for relationship and marriage, marriage advice as well. Relationship and marriage. Isn't that part of some of the challenges that we face? Philippians 2 and verse 1. Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, and of one mind. I mean, just think about that for a moment. Living in a community that lives in that space. Fellowship of the Spirit. Comfort of love. Consolation in Christ. Affection. Mercy. Full of joy. Being like-minded. Having the same love. Being of one accord and of one mind. I mean, amen. That's a, that's a church I'll pastor. Amen. That's going to be easy. <laughs> 
But look at it. How do we get there? It says, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. How many things? Nothing. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Remember, Philippians is the most joyful letter in the Bible. Philippians is also the letter that Paul writes from prison, or a letter that he writes from prison. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also the interests of others. So the key to overcoming your circumstances is maybe twofold. It is one, realizing that this circumstance, this issue, this challenge is not going to be with me for eternity, but I have the eternal one that's going to help me to take heart and to to do it joyfully and to overcome. But then also, there is more to life than me. Me and my troubles, me and my challenges, me and my... My sad situation. And maybe it's really sad. I mean, it's like Adman encountered really, I mean, that was horrendous. If you ask me to go sleep in a play school because there was burglaries two nights in a row, I'm probably not going to sleep sound. I'm there for security. I'm not there for comfort. This family, and I heard the voice note, literally said they have never in their life slept in a place where there was lights that you could switch on and off. Now, even that is not what defines them. Because a few weeks ago, they encountered Christ, they received the Holy Spirit, and that is now what defines them. So they are living, and they are thankful, and they're moving forward, and they're getting discipled, and they're part of family, but this is not what's going to move them. Again, we are there to, yes, help each other, carry each other's burdens, and and all of that is going to help us. A lot of the victory that we need comes to us in fellowship with community. First of all, fellowship with the Spirit, but also fellowship with each other. And I love that. I think Dylan or one of the guys from Jesus Church said it. He said, the light in me is the light of Christ. So if you encounter someone with the light of Christ, then you encounter the light of Christ. Sometimes you are just not there where you're going to get the greatest revelation and download from the Spirit. You're just not there mentally. You, you are, you're caught up in your circumstances. But guess what? You've got brothers, you've got sisters, you've got family that can help you, that can pull you through, that can disciple you, that can sharpen you. Proverbs 27, 17, it says, So one man sharpens another. The Amplified says, through discussion. And that's one of the things we're trying to do is to make a church where we have discussion. Where it's not just this Greek mindset where the guy up front knows a few things and you need to learn what he knows. No, we're wanting to make discussion. Now, obviously, just the way that we set up doesn't facilitate that. And I'm still praying how to change that. Amen? (laughs) But that's why we have life groups. And and to be honest, if you're not in a life group, you're not getting the full package. I promise you, you're not getting the full package. Because I and Natasha and, and, and the leaders, we are running around, we're trying to look after people, but our structure is you go to your life group leader and they come to us. Because that is how we all stay sane. <laughs> that is how we preserve. That is how we, well, we share. That's, I believe, how, how Jesus would do it. Because Jesus said, let them sit down in groups. He had to feed thousands. But he didn't give them each a piece of bread. He gave it to the disciples. And the disciples in their hands saw the miracle happen when they handed it out. 
So again, I'm inviting you to become part of this. We're not making announcements because we have to say something. We announce what we feel in our hearts and we announce what we value. And that's why you hear about life groups so often. But let each of you look not only for your own interests, but also for the interests of others. Amen? Being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and one mind. That's unity. Now, how's this even possible? Peter, I didn't come today to, to, to hear about this. I came to hear about Jesus. Well, this is Mr. Graceman Paul who wrote Philippians, isn't he? You see, when we get over ourselves, then we get to be about the things of Christ. When we get over ourselves, then we get to live for more. So 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 23 says, And the very God of peace sanctify you holy. Holy, that's all of you. He sanctifies all of you. And pray God your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So this is only possible to overcome, to live for more than who you are, when you realize that you are a spirit. That your spirit has a soul and that that package lives in a body. That's how you need to see yourself. Because a lot of our issues is in the body. I don't have food to eat. I don't have um, whatever I need. I don't have the nice things I want. It's body. And then, then some of it is in the soul. There's sadness. There's bad things that happen. There's ridicule, there's insults, there's, and it's, it's, it's bad, it's true, it's soulish, but no one, no one, no one can touch your spirit. So how do we live this overcoming life is we need to realize that we are spiritual. And therefore we are eternal. So just by changing your perspective, you're already going to see the problems we face are not that big. Because firstly, they're not spiritual because eternally you are secure if you're in Christ. If you're not come. Let us pray for you afterwards and pray with you and, and, and we can deal with your eternal problem. I mean, if your eternal problem is solved, like, let's go to bed and have a good night's rest, amen? Really, what, what can be so bad if your eternity is safe and secure? Well, your neighbor who's not safe and secure, that should probably keep you up a bit. Now, that's maturity. Yeah, so today's really an invitation to maturity. It's because I love you, no? Only when we are able to take ourselves, our challenges, and our needs less serious. Only when we will be able to consider others as more important than ourselves. Only when we will be able to bear one another's burdens. Only then will we be able to love like Jesus by laying down our lives for each other. What is the greatest form of love? Jesus said it. That you lay down your life. That you give your life for a friend. Amen? And that's really, that's a privilege to do so. It's not easy. I'm reading this book, Bringing Up Boys. And I was reading it in the week. And I wanted to read something to you. It's an account of um, a recall of the Titanic. So who's heard of the Titanic? Okay, not the movie, the boat. <laughs> they actually, um, they're quite critical of the movie and say that it's really not accurate portraying of what happened, especially around the, the lifeboats. And I'll, I'll read why, and then you can, you can come sort of on your thinking with us. So it says, then we came to the last room. So these guys went to an uh, um, exhibit of a lot of the Titanic artifacts, he and his wife. And he um, says, and the names of those who died were inscribed in alphabetical order on glass plates. What struck us both was the scarcity of females on the list. Indeed, 1,339 men died on that tragic night. 1,339 men died. Jog. 
Ek sal gaf ons die aircon af, man. Mense kreeg koud. A thousand three hundred and thirty-nine men died on that tragic night, but only a hundred and fourteen women, hundred and fourteen women, and fifty-six boys and girls. Okay. Why this disparity? Because, with very few exceptions, husbands and fathers gave their lives to save the wives and children. It was one of history's most stirring examples of sacrificial love. Those doomed men disappeared into the icy waters of the Atlantic in order that their loved ones might survive to see another day. That is why the Titanic is called the ship of widows to this day. The ship of widows. Why? Because the men gave up their life. Because that is the highest form of love, is to lay down your life. Now, that's not why I'm reading this. We go on. It says, I was discussing this historic event recently with a young author, Ned Ryan, son of U.S. congressman, whoever. He sent me a written account of Reverend John Harper of Glasgow in Scotland, who was on the Titanic the night it sank. He is one of the men who cried out as the mad rush for lifeboats began, let the women, listen to this, children, and unsaved into the lifeboats. What a man. Not for rivalry or, or to be a gentleman, no. The unsaved. You see, he had some, some circumstances. The Titanic is sinking. There's not enough lifeboats. How big is your problem? But he realizes life is about more than this. And he realizes that if people go without Jesus right now into these icy waters, they will never be with him in eternity. And he gives up his place. But that's not all. Then he kissed his only daughter, Nana, goodbye for the last time and placed her in the hands of one of the ship's officers aboard a lifeboat. Soon he was immersed in the chilly waters of the Atlantic. This is Ned's description of what happened next. Concerned not with his life, but for the dying around him, Harper with his last breath swam to the dying souls and cried out for them to be saved. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. As his strength began to ebb, Harper called out to a man clinging onto a piece of timber, Are you saved? No, was the reply. A few moments later, Harper and the man came into contact again. Are you saved yet? No, was again the reply. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Harper cried out one last time, and with that slipped beneath the waves. The young man clinging to the board was rescued and was later to testify that he had indeed been saved that night, not only by a rescuing ship, but by the words of John Harper. That's touching. That is, if you realize what life is about. That speaks of a maturity. That speaks of an eternal... See, we, we can fight about world views, but it's really not about world view. It's about, do you see eternity? Because we can have opposing world views and then miss eternity. But we can live eternity, and all of a sudden we're going to have to live spiritually, and then the chances of us living in more unity is just going to be so much greater. And you know what happens next is then we don't always deal with issues, but our relationship enriches to a place where we don't have to talk about the issues because we can talk about how do we reach more people for eternity. And all of a sudden there's going to be energy, there's going to be passion, there's going to be a flow. And the Holy Spirit really came for that reason. 
again, John Harper, his circumstance, his issues wasn't solved. He died that night. I hope he shared the gospel as he swam because that's how people get saved. They need the incorruptible seed, the word of the gospel. But that's not the point so much. It's this man lived. This is real love. And what did Jesus say? By this will men know that you are my disciples. By your love for each other. So I'm not saying, please never again phone me with an issue. I want to love you and I want to love you in and through and with your issue. But I want us as a family to move past that and to live for more. Now I'm not saying that I'm there. You know what? You preach to yourself the loudest first and then let's see what happens. But if you were on the Titanic, would that be your default? Mine is probably it wouldn't because that's why it touched me so much, that message. But I want to mature to a place in the Spirit where it is not about me, it's not about my circumstances, it's about the unsaved. It's about eternity. It's about laying down your life. So this is a call, again, to maturity, a call to being the powerful and effective spiritual force that we were instructed to be. A call to be effective ministers of the covenant of the Spirit of life. That's so beautiful. Philippians 2 and 19, we read on, it says, But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy shortly unto you, that I also may be of good comfort when I know your state. For I have no man like-minded. Remember, we're coming from Philippians 2, verse 1 to 4, about like-mindedness. He says, Who will naturally care for your state. Not his state, but your state. For all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ's. You know how many issues we solve when we stop looking to our issues and we look to the things about Jesus? We start living for more. For all seek their own, all except Timothy, not the things which are Jesus Christ. Now, maybe you think, I thought this is a grace church, I thought it's about the love of God, I thought it's about all these things, thank you for asking and pointing that out. But John 15, 13 says, Greater love has no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. The words of Jesus. 1 John three sixteen. Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. 1 John three twenty three. And this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another. You see, by this will men know that you are my disciples, by your love for one another. Not by your holy, sinless lives. That guy didn't care if John Harper had sin in his life. But he probably saw him shout, Woman, children, unsaved, take my place. The man next to Jesus on the cross, the centurion at the foot of the cross who said, surely this is, be, this is the Son of God. I don't think it was the earthquake. I don't think it was the darkness. I think it was the fact that he heard time and time and time again, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And then they come by and they insult him and they give him vinegar and they give him this and they give him that. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And then in his last breath, 
He literally pulls himself up. And you know how excruciating the pain must have been because there was nothing left in his muscles. He was hanging literally by the pins or the, the, the nails in his arms and his hands. And as he, as he stepped on that cross and the nails in his foot, it had to tear some more. And he was like, Mother, this is your son. And he probably had to go down because it was too excruciating. And he, and he pulled himself up again and he said, Son, this is your mother. And the centurion is right there. And what does he see? He sees love. He sees the highest and the greatest form of love. And what does he see? He sees selflessness. Jesus didn't make the cross about him. Think about that. On the cross, where eternity intersects and the life of God comes to the flesh of man, God in the flesh doesn't make it about himself. He makes it about forgiveness. He makes it about family. He focuses on love. And by this will men know that you are my disciples. When you supernaturally, spiritually, lay down your life, which is agape, the God kind of love. You see, it's really not that difficult. It's impossible. But not with God. With God, nothing is impossible. And I don't know about you, but I'm excited about this revelation. I'm excited about this message because guess what? I can move over some of my stuff. I can overcome some of my challenges and some of my circumstances. And, and I'm sort of, oh yeah, this is actually not that bad. You know what? We get caught up in, 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 in a lot of what we have in depression is people caught up in themselves. Their issues. And, their, and I'm not saying it's not there. I'm just saying, is it going to be there for eternity? I'm asking a question. And you answer for yourself... And then, you are not alone. You are not alone. We celebrate Pentecost Sunday today. And you probably didn't expect a laying down your life message on Pentecost Sunday. But there's no other way but through the Spirit. The Spirit was poured out so that we can lay down our lives. If He who gave you Christ gave you eternity, gave you the Spirit, won't He freely also give you all things? You know, loving one another will shrink your problems and troubles. It won't dissolve them. It will shrink them. Living for more than ourselves is a testimony that God exists. It's a testimony to others. People can't comprehend it. They can't understand it. But there's more money there. So what? I don't live for money. I don't live for things. I don't live for, for the things of this world. Because in this world there's trouble. The question then boils down to who is more important in this world? Who is more important? Romans 12 and verse 1. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body a living sacrifice. Holy. You know what that holy means? Set apart. Can we say laid down? That's the picture of the sacrifice. Laying down your life. What is that? That is love. Acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. That, I don't like that part. 
I don't like that second part there about reasonable service. Lord, this is, this is for the super dupers. This is for the faith men. This is for the, the crazy ones. No, this is reasonable. This is the supernatural life. This is the spiritual life. This is, this is the way. We spoke about the way last week. There's no other way. This is, this is it. But won't the world trample all over you if you do that? Of course they will. Of course they will. But we don't live for this world. Did they trample all over Paul? Yes, they did. Did they crucify Peter? Yes, they did. Did they boil John in oil? Yes, they did. But that's not what they are known for. What are they known for? Believers. Holy Spirit empowered. Bold men of faith. How do I know that? Acts 4 and verse 13. Let's look there. Acts 4 and verse 13. These are some of the the hallmark verses that you should have in your life. Now when they saw what? The boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men. They marveled. And they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. How do I do this, Peter? How do I live this life? Yes, it sounds great, but I don't know if the Titanic sinks and the water is cold. If I, well, it's, it doesn't start there. It starts in your quiet time. It starts in your time with Jesus. It starts, boldness doesn't come when you need it. Boldness comes when you spend time with Jesus. So what I'm giving us today is I'm giving us the recipe to live better from this day forward. I'm not saying you're going to wake up tomorrow and you're going to forget about all your problems. No, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying, like I said, that tomorrow morning you're going to wake up and you're going to have all the money you need. I'm not saying that. I'm saying tomorrow morning wake up and spend time with Jesus. Because the boldness you need and might need, and maybe this is a prophetic message, but we don't know. Maybe God is setting us up right now for success when there's challenges in our future. And what does that look like? Spending time with Jesus. Receiving the Spirit. Living a spiritual life. Living for the things of the Spirit. Living for eternity. And then when the things of this world come, they grow strangely dim, as the song say. Where? In the eyes of His glory and grace. Even that song doesn't say it's going to disappear. It just says it won't be your focus. Of course they will trample over you. Mark 8.35 For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. I just love when the Bible is just like punchy, contradictory to this world. But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the Gospels. Oh, don't miss the second part. Don't lose your life for God because then you go to be with Him by yourself. But when you live for Him and for the Gospel, you take people with you. Mr. John Harper, or Reverend John Harper, didn't only give a space for his girl, his daughter. No, he was about God, and he was about the Gospel. So like Jesus, very much, he swam around in the icy waters, not living for himself, but living for the unsaved. And sharing with them the hope of Christ. Laying down your life for my sake and the gospels 
the same shall save it. Was, he, was, was there a boat who came and just picked him out of the waters? So how does, what do we do with this verse? It's eternal life. You see, you have to live with the eternal mindset. You, you, don't, you don't have to, but you get to. <laughs> Your problems will shrink if you do. So, when we are willing to lay down our life for the gospel and for his sake, then we only live fully. This is again your reasonable service. Who wants to be happy? My hands up. I want to be happy. Who wants to be in the will of God? Oh no, you don't want to be happy, but you at least want to be in the will of God. Good people you are on a Sunday morning, aren't you? Huh? Come on, you want to be happy. You want to be joyful. You want to live an adventure. We, who wants to live an adventure? I want to live an adventure. Amen? The world wants to live an adventure. That's why they jump out of planes and they go on whitewater rafting. I've done some of those things. It only lasts while it lasts. But living faith lasts forever. This is the adventure. This is the faith life. What is it? It is your reasonable service. But be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. Now people make this verse something that it's not. It's not saying, this is the good, this is the perfect, and this is the acceptable will of God. Because then, if you just think about it, good and perfect works, but then acceptable should be the first one. It is the first one. Good, acceptable, perfect. It's like acceptable, good, perfect. That's how the trappe van vergelijking would have worked, wouldn't it? It is one thing. Because there's only one will of God. It is what? That all men be saved and come to the fullness of the truth. That's the will of God. We looked at it, Hebrews 10, 17. This was the will of God, that Jesus made that available. What did He make available? Salvation. And that then leads to the spiritual life, and what does the Spirit do? Give you a goosebump. The Spirit will come, and He will lead you and guide you into all truth. So the Spirit comes, which then is salvation, but it doesn't stop there, because now the Spirit kicks into action, and what He now does is He leads you into all truth, so the Spirit comes to fulfill the will of God. What is the will of God? That all men be saved, salvation, and come to the fullness of the knowledge of truth. That is the Spirit's job. So we have one calling, we have one hope, and we have one will of God. See, again, I'm simplifying things for you. Now, how does that look in your life? That's the question, obviously. How do I take now this general will of God, and how do I apply it in my decision-making? Oh, you wish I give you the answer, but I'm not. Because it's between you and God. It is in your relationship with God that the direction of your life should be directed. Yes, come to leadership. Let us pray with you. Let your life group pray for you. But let that confirm what God has said in the quiet and the private place. Let's not make our lives on prophecies and then go look for Scripture. The best prophecy is the one that confirms which you sort of 80% believe God said to you. That is the, the, the function of prophecy. It comes and confirms. And it aligns and it straightens. And you thought you're going this way and God says go this way. But you're already going. That is the function of prophecy. A lot of people sit on their blessed assurance and they wait for the prophet to come to town. Because I can't move until God speaks. No, Jesus said go. What did Jesus say? Where? Oh... 
I don't want to leave Stellenbosch. It's such a nice town. I don't want you to leave Stellenbosch. Then we have to work harder. But that's not what it's about. It's about Jesus saying go. Amen? See, the problem with the, the way we do church is that we're probably never going to be a massive church. Because we're always sending people. I mean, I'm preaching against you staying here, if you haven't realized. I just want to make sure when you go that you're ready for it. I had to make peace with that. <laughs> because what is your definition of success? If your definition of a successful church is a building and, and a thousand people, then you're not going to stay long with us. But hopefully we can challenge that to say, is your definition of success aligned with God's definition of success? Because if Jesus said go and the church measures stay as, as, as success, then we have a problem. Now I'm not saying everyone pack your bags and let's go to Pakistan. Because probably not all of us will come back, will we? I'm saying is you need to, in your relationship with God, find a direction that is going to help you fulfill, no, manifest the will of God. Which is what? That all men be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. So if you have a job opportunity, ask yourself this. This will help you. Now I'm getting practical. Ask yourself, will this lead to more men being saved? And will this lead to more men coming to the fullness of the knowledge of truth? But Peter, what about the pay and the pension fund? And no, 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 no. What is God's will? That you have a great pension fund. The word pension doesn't exist in Hebrew. Sorry. <laughs> the will of God is that all men be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. And you realize what? This verse... Romans 12 and verse 2 is an invitation to the adventure. But we just, 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 just can't get there. Because we have this mindset of what I have to give to God. Where this says, just lay down your life and I'm going to give everything you've ever dreamed of and more. If you can get over that, you probably won't cry when you reach heaven. If you don't, the Holy Spirit will dry your tears, don't worry. Because what is going to happen is you're going to realize that you've wasted years on this earth. Living for the things of this earth. Worrying about the problems of this earth. Laying awake at night, stressing, being anxious. Didn't the word say... Don't be anxious. Philippians. Read on. Philippians 4. Don't be anxious. Paul is waiting to hear if he's going to die. That's Philippians. That's the context. And he's sitting there. He's like, I don't know. You know, really, to die is, is going to be awesome. It's probably going to hurt Paul. I mean, they're not going to give you a a nice injection, they're going to probably make it count. It's not about it. And then you go sit on the other side of this little cell. He says, you know what? To live. I think the passion says it's opportunities for Christ. Paul is so worn out. Read the end of Galatians. 
he lays it all out and he says, I'm done. He says, I carry the scars, I carry the marks, I'm done. If you want evidence, come look at me. I'm, I've been shipwrecked, I've been stoned, I've been beaten, I've been, I, I'm done. I don't have anything more to give. He's tired. He wants to die. You see, to die is, is often easy. Because it's once off. But to live for Christ is daily. And Paul comes to a conclusion. He says, guess what? I think I'll live some more. For your benefit. Not for mine. He probably didn't sleep well, not because he was worried, because of the aches of his body. Because of the smell of where he lived. Because of the food he ate or didn't get. He said, guess what? To live opportunities for Christ. One of my favorite verses is where the Bible says, God is not a respecter of persons or people. So it's Brother Andrew who smuggled Bibles into the Middle East. And they wrote this book about him and he became sort of a famous speaker and stuff. And, and he said, he's confused. He says, why are you confused? You're this hero. He says, I thought this is my reasonable service. I thought this is what every believer not should be doing, is doing. You see, we, we get to live the adventure, but it's a little bit easier if we do it together. So this is a nice grace bubble. I like our grace bubble. Amen? But let's make sure this is only a bubble on a Sunday morning. And even then, let's be open to everyone who walks in here for the first time, the second time, the third time. Because really, church is not about us. It's about the unsaved. Worship is not about how you feel. Because then you're not worshiping the one we worship here. We worship God. Yes, He's dancing over us. He's singing with us. But what is our reasonable service? It's saying, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. You see, we want to make faith something complicated, something that it's not. Jesus said, no greater faith have I seen than what the centurion. The one who understands, commands. Authority. Rank. Jesus said, I give you a command. We treat it as an invitation. It's comfortable. First world, it's the West, it's aircon is too cold, it's opportunity, it's a decision. I was standing in the shower this morning, I was thinking, I wonder if Shane is wondering if I'm going to be at church today. No, because then I wouldn't be in the position that I am. I'm sharing too much this morning. I was like, no, because we have to be accountable. If we want to make a difference in this world, we have to be accountable. We have to be there. We have to say yes and then stick to it. We have to say, yes, Lord, I'm going to live this life and then do it. It's not a daily decision. It's a command. And you can, I mean, God is gracious. He's not going to, I want to say, He's not going to keep you to it. But you are missing out. 
And that's really the crux of Romans 12. It is, it is the, guys, this is it. This is what you've always been looking for. But guess what? It's not wrapped in the paper that you thought it would come in. Because I don't know what was promised to you. Now, there's a million things in my head right now, which I should, when that happens, I should probably just shut up. What is the promise? Let's end where we started. 1 John 2.25 It is the Spirit and eternal life. Why make it less? Why make it about materialism? Why make something eternal about... Why, why, why water it down to something temporary? Why faith for a car when you can faith for the salvation of unbelievers? Why read the Bible for a goosebump when you can get a revelation that's going to share the gospel to clearly explain the mystery which will lead someone to salvation for eternity? You see, it's, it's, the church as a whole needs to grow up. That's really the word elder. It's the mature ones. And you know why people become elders? Because they become builders. They become part of the solution. They show up like the guys did this morning again and say, Hey, we're here. We're not even on the group, but we're here. We knew you are going to be here. We're here. When we go on outreach, we're there. We don't know how this works. It's comfortable. It's awkward. I've never done this, but we're here. Let's go. It's Sunday afternoon, 5 o'clock. I mean, there's many comfortable things to do. But guess what? You're going to wake up Monday morning and it's not going to be... There's nothing going to be left over of that comfort. Maybe a hangover. But here we stand because we went on an outreach to Solaris Pass where there's nothing. A church we planted, by the way. That's why we're responsible. It's a child of ours. It's a family. It's, it's not just somewhere out there. We planted that church from within this Stellenbosch body. Forty people we planted out. It was the most scary, scariest day. One of the scariest days of my pastoring. We came one Sunday. We were 100 people. The next Sunday we came, 40 were gone. How do you keep the vibe? Oh, we should have had the best vibe ever. Why? Because we planted a church. Maturity says, yes, Lord. Can I come early? Can I come help? Can I sing louder? Can I clap hands? Can I, where can I come? Because we've planted a church. And today, that family is in church because we planted a church. Because we reached out. And we're not building a house to get more people to church. No, they're already in church. You see, we, we, we can't... That's bribery. That's not salvation. I think I shared it last week, but it bears saying again. I heard of these churches where they, they have this exciting message. And then they say, if you see outside the window, there's a truck full of bricks. And you decide how big you want your house to be. And God is watching because these are holy bricks. We've prayed over these bricks. And you buy this brick and you go put it where you want your house to be. And God is going to bring your house to you. It's going to grow. 
You know what that is? That's two things. It's witchcraft, and it's using the Lord's name in vain. Because you are using God's word to promise vanity, which is emptiness. Because it's just not true. There's a scripture that says it's better for people to have a millstone wrapped around their necks, I think, and thrown into the deepest ocean than for them to lead one of these little ones astray and away from the truth. What is church about? What is your faith about? What is the Holy Spirit about? It's about eternal life. It's the adventure not of a lifetime, but of eternity. And we get to live this life and take others with us. Again, today I know it's maybe challenging, but I promise it will set you free. And don't get excited about the dream. We've forgotten about the dream. Because the dream only led me to Scripture, and that's what I'm sharing with you this morning. Let's end off. We're still in Philippians. Philippians 1. This brings it all together. I'm reading verse 20 from the Passion Translation. Remember, the key to overcoming all your troubles is to get over yourself. I said it nicer earlier, didn't I? (laughs) No matter what, I will continue to hope and passionately cling to Christ so that He will openly reveal through me before everyone's eyes. So I will not be ashamed. In my life or in my death, Christ will be magnified in me. No matter what. How many of us have said, God, if this doesn't work out, then then we have a problem here. <laughs> subconsciously. We don't say that because that's blasphemy, but subconsciously we're like, Lord, if this doesn't come through, then I'm not sure. You know what? God even meets people there. Atheist. Lord, if you exist, show up. Shows up. Yes, he's just waiting for that invitation. But guess what? He wants to show up through a person. Through you. No matter what. You see, it, hel- it helps to have that spiritual everlasting view of life. Verse 27. Whatever happens, no matter what, whatever happens, keep living your lives based on the reality of the gospel of Christ, which reveals Him to others. Then I come to see you or hear good reports about you. I'll know that you stand united in one spirit and one passion celebrating together as conquerors in the faith of the gospel. Only let your conduct, that's your lifestyle, be worthy of the gospel. Not just of religion, not of rules, but the gospel. Whose gospel? Christ's gospel. So that whatever I come and see you, whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs. That's how you do life. What do we want to hear? That you have no more problems. That everyone now has a car and a house. No, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. What are we about? We're about moving people. We are about moving forward together for the faith of the gospel. What is this church about? Reaching out with the gospel, establishing the fountain. We're doing it together in unity. We're striving together. Striving is not a nice word, by the way. It speaks about effort. It speaks about hardness. It speaks about... mm. That's why it's the race, the agony, the agon in Hebrews 12. The race that is set before you is the agonizing obstacle course. That's a better translation. Sorry. Ministers to me. Because then we don't expect life to just be easy. 
You see, a lot of people promise life to be easy when you come to Christ, and then it doesn't happen, and then they lose faith. I'd much rather share the truth with you and say, hey, Jesus said in this life you're going to have trouble. So who are we to say otherwise? Paul wrote, or whoever wrote Hebrews says, this is the agony, the agon. You can go look at the Greek word there, it's agon, where we get agony. The agon, the agony that's set before you. But it doesn't matter because we are striving together for the purpose of the gospel, not for the purpose of overcoming our issues. But we're doing it together as a, as a body. Stand united in one spirit, celebrating together as conquerors in the faith. Verse 28, and then you will never be shaken. There's the promise. What does the, the New King James say? And not in any way terrified by your adversaries. It doesn't say the adversaries are going to disappear. It says they will not have the effect on you that they used to. You will not be terrified. Which is to them a proof of perdition. So if your boss, your landlord, your whoever wants to take you to jail and court, if they see that they cannot terrify you, they're going to ask why. And hopefully they come to the conclusion that this guy is a Christian or this lady. Which will remind them that they probably are not. That's what this verse says. A proof of perdition, but to you of salvation. And that from God. Because what they will realize is the fact that they cannot terrify you means that you live for more. That your source is different. That you have eternity. Because you are spiritual. So what do we take home today? We are spirit beings with a soul that needs to be renewed and transformed, living in bodies. That is the order. So when you have your problems, your challenges, you have to measure it to that order. And I promise you, a lot of the issues we face is in this bottom part. Also in the soulish realm. But that's why we have our minds renewed and transformed, according to Romans 1, 12. 1. Because when our minds are renewed and we lay down our bodies, then we live the adventure. Not that difficult, is it? It's impossible. But that's why we have the Spirit. Amen? We'd love to hear from you. If you'd like to connect with us, or if you'd like us to pray with you, please contact us at info at gracelife.co. If you'd like to order more resources or discover more about us, you can visit our website at www.gracelife.co or find us on Twitter, Facebook and YouTube.